the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Trying to figure out how to be like Christ can be a rather tall order at times. Tough, to say the least. But if God has commanded us to do it, then he expects us to actually do just that. What makes it even better is that he empowers us and gives us the ability to do just that. As we'll see next on Abounding Grace. And again, welcome. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Today we're continuing our survey of Colossians. We find ourselves back in chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. How to be like Christ. That's the subject of our time today. It's a tall order, but one that... God gives us with the expectation that we will do just that. Now, is it something that takes place in a night, in an hour, in a day? Well, as Alan Redpath wisely put it once, the making of a Christian is the miracle of a moment. The making of a saint, well, that is the task of a lifetime. And that is the lifetime that we're looking at here in Colossians chapter 3. Join us, won't you? Here's Pastor Gary Wagner and today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. God is not simply a spectator. God doesn't stand off to the side and watch how things are going to go. God intervenes with judgment into people's lives before they die. He brings his judgments upon their disobedience, even if sometimes simply means leaving people to wallow in the filth of their own lusts until they die and go to hell. Now, we love the fact that God is love, but don't ever lose sight of the fact that that same God who is love is the God who bestows wrath upon the wicked, both in this life and in the life to come. So whenever you see God bestowing judgment in this life, floods, fires, and tornadoes, and hurricanes, he is pouring out his wrath. Because, you see, God uses natural disasters to bring his judgment to bear upon people. And don't think that is an extreme perspective. And when you see God bring his judgment, you might say, Boy, I'm glad I don't live in that area. Praise the Lord, that wasn't me. Whenever you see God bring his judgment to bear upon people, pray, beloved. Lord, help me to be a better Christian so you don't have to pour out judgment on me someday. Calvin said, whenever God threatens judgment or brings judgment, it should deter us from sinning. Then in verse 7, Paul brings up another very important point. He says, and I'm going to read this entire sentence beginning in verse 6. 
For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Past tense. Were living in them. He is saying those sins that you are now able to put off, you don't have to be slaves to them any longer. You were once slaves to them. Formerly, back before you were a Christian, you walked in them and you lived in them. Now, what is the difference between walking and living in Scripture? Well, living is a disposition. It's an attitude. And walking is a behavior based on that disposition. He says, there was a time in your former life before you were a new creature in Christ when your whole inner disposition was dominated by these sinful desires and your behavior was governed by them. Now, why did Paul bring this out at this particular point in time? It was to let us know that Christians are not to live like non-Christians. And of course, non-Christians cannot live like Christians. So if you are living anything like a non-Christian, that may mean something very serious for you, my friends. Because Christians are not to live anything like non-Christians. And these verbs are past tense. Expressing the things that did dominate your life and dominate your walk before you were a Christian. But they do not. Do you hear that? They do not dominate you any longer. That is the testimony Paul is making here. Christians do not live as they did before they became Christians. Why? Because a Christian has gone through a dramatic change in Christ, a dramatic change. And now he can do things he could never do before for Christ. Now he doesn't want to do the things he wants that once dominated him. If you were dominated by anger, beloved, before you ever became a Christian... Now that you are a Christian, it should no longer dominate you. Now, unbelievers cannot live this kind of life that Paul's describing here as Christ-likeness. They, they walk and wallow, live, think in an atmosphere inside and out of rebellion against God. And that's God's assessment. That is not mine of a person who was not a Christian. Christians do not live like non-Christians. Non-Christians cannot live like Christians. And that's the way you were. You know, in many of the pulpits of America today, this is simply not taught. And as a result, you have millions of people in this country who are professing Christians, but most likely are not. They've been told that all you have to do to become a Christian is to ask Jesus into your heart. And if you do that, you're saved and you don't have to worry about it. It would be good if you surrendered your life to him, but you don't have to surrender your life to Jesus now. You can wait until later when you're a little more mature in your faith. 
So just ask Jesus in your heart. Yeah, you may still live like unbelievers, but we're not going to judge you. You might live like you used to live, but you ask Jesus into your heart, and that's all that matters. It doesn't matter how you live after that. You should ask and receive Christ as your Lord, but if you ask him into your heart, that actually settles the whole matter. And you see, it is that viewpoint that you have in church after church after church after church, book after book after book, all over this world. And what does Paul say? He says, if you don't live like a Christian, it's probably because you're not a Christian. Christians do not live like non-Christians. Verse 8, but now. Now, there are a lot of but nows or something very similar in the Bible that are just absolutely wonderful. And let me read a few of these to you. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world. Among them, too, we all lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. But... God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk therein. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 12. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. What a congregation that must have been. But you're not these things anymore. Oh, you were fornicators and homosexuals, etc. But you are not homosexual anymore. You're not immoral anymore. You're not a drunkard anymore. You see, drunkenness is not a sickness. It is a sin that you can be free from. We're told that right here. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the spirit of our God. Romans 6, 17. But thanks be to God. That though you were slaves of sin. You became obedient from the heart. To that form of teaching to which you were committed You see, the Christian has undergone a radical transformation of his life. An extensive change has taken place so that he is not what he once was. The things that once dominated no longer dominate him because of his relationship with Christ. He has power to get victories in his struggles with sin and to move closer and closer. To a Christ likeness. 
So believers must not only be pure because in Christ they can be pure and put to death those first five sins, but believers, because of the transformation that has taken place in our lives, must, be put, must put to death and avoid that second list of sins. We can and we must. Look at verse 8. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. He is saying, don't do these things anymore. Don't do these things anymore. Anger. The Greek word there means a settled attitude of anger, like a roaring furnace in the heart. There's always this undercurrent of anger, wrath. The Greek word word means a passionate outburst of anger, just to blow up like a fire in straw. Malice has reference to evil gossip, evil inclinations in the mind that wants to hurt other people. Slander, abusive words, destructive talk about other people for the purpose of making them look less like what you think they are. If you are guilty of any of these things, you cannot be a loving person. So Christ says, put them to death because I've given you the power to do so. Then there is abusive speech, obscene language, foul talk, innuendos, suggestive expressions that cover an underlying impurity. It's just not the act of the sin. It is an under, there is an underlying impurity. These are things we are to put to death. And we can put them to death if we are going to try and be Christ-like, loving people in our treatment of other people. Then in verse 9, having mentioned sins that have to do with the mouth, Paul also adds, don't lie to one another. This is to avoid deliberate non-truths and half-truths in any use of your mouth to deceive or misrepresent for self-love. Avoid giving wrong impressions or distorting the facts to make yourself look good. That if you don't put to death these things in your life, then you are not going to be able to manifest a loving relationship with other people. And if you don't manifest a loving relationship with other people, that shows you are simply not seeking to obtain Christ-likeness from Him who sits at the right hand of God. Then in verses 9 and 10, Paul gives the reason obedience to these commands is possible for the believer. Unbelievers cannot live this kind of life. Unbelievers cannot live a pure and loving life as defined by God. But believers can and should and must. And there is no excuse when we do not. And it is because of what he says in verses 9 and 10. So let's read them. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self decisively. At some point in the past, with its evil practices, and have put in the past at a decisive moment the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created them. 
So here is the reason why we as Christians can be consistent with what has taken place in our lives, although not perfectly in this life, and that is we have put off the old self once and for all decisively, and we have put on the new self. Now, what is he talking about? At some point in the past, that happened to us. Before birth, in the womb, after the womb, somewhere in our past, the reason we can live pure lives and are living pure lives, not perfectly, is because there was something back there in which we decisively put off the old man and we put on the new man. Now, Paul is talking here about regeneration. Re, meaning again, generated giving life regenerated you and I because of our sins like the entire human race are dead in our trespasses and sins so to be a Christian God has got to raise you from your spiritual death he has got to give you a new spiritual life and that is when you become a Christian and when that happens A radical break takes place in your life between what you were before that moment and what you are after that moment. Before that moment, you were the old self. You were an unregenerate person. You were totally depraved. You were dominated by all of those sins that a Christian can repent of, turn and resist and restrain himself from. There was a time in the old self in which you were a slave to sin and death. But then God came into your life and, and he made you a new creature. For scripture says anyone who is in Christ is a new creature, not is going to become a new creature. He is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all have become new. That old self was crucified and a new self was born. And that new self is a new person who has a new heart that is united with Christ that now seeks those things which are above at God's right hand, seeks to live for the Christ who he now loves and is grateful to with all of his heart. He has decisively, put off the whole life, old life, and made a complete break with the past. And now he is a new person in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are other passages like Ephesians 4 that we could turn to that are actually parallel passages. But there's something here I want you to see that is more important because there is a lot of false teaching on this subject. Here is what you get a lot from America's pulpits. The believer is an old man and a new man in one body. And they are always struggling against one another. And the way to get victory is that you feed the new man and you starve the old man. So that every Christian is sort of spiritually schizophrenic. Every Christian has a new man and an old man and they are fighting against each other. So victory, if you want it... Feed the new man and starve the old man. There are not two selves in here. What does it say? 
It says the old man is crucified. You have put off the old man. You are not the old man any longer. You are a new person, a new self in the Lord Jesus Christ. Old things have passed away. All has become new. We've already established the fact you're not perfect. You still have to deal with sin in your life and put off that sin and put on righteousness. But there is a progressive renewal. You are not schizophrenic. You can no more be an old man, listen, and anew at the same time than you can be regenerate and unregenerate at the same time. Does that make sense? The old man is a figure of speech for the unregenerate person, dominated by sin and rebellion. The new man is the liberated, regenerated new person in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's you. And you have the power now to do what God calls you to do as you seek being Christ-like. Now in verse 10 he says, This new life which began with regeneration is still in the process of renewal. We are being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created us. So we are developing. The Bible says, though, our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And notice what we are being renewed unto. We are being renewed unto true knowledge. Now, remember, Paul is still trying to keep the Colossian Christians from being seduced by the false teachers who came with this esoteric knowledge. You remember? They said, Forget that Christian stuff. That's for babies. If you really want to be superior intellectuals, come with us. And we'll give you these rites and rituals that will enable you to comprehend the universe. But this Christianity, ah, it's for wimps and the intellectually weak. So Paul is dealing with this and he says, wait a minute. You are a new person in Christ now, and God is continuing to renew you every day more and more in true knowledge. True knowledge, not a counterfeit knowledge, not an esoteric knowledge, but a knowledge that greatly excels any so-called knowledge offered by the Greeks and the Gnostics. And Paul says, once you become a new person in Christ, God gives you a knowledge of himself. And of his will that consumes your whole inside and affects every aspect of your behavior in this world. So the knowledge you have in Christ is vastly superior to anything the world can ever offer you, beloved. And the standard of this growth and development is the image of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, for whom he foreknow. He also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son that he might be firstborn of many brethren. That's how you can actually gauge your growth. That's how you can gauge the growth of this spiritually new renewal of the image of Christ within you. Are you becoming more and more like Christ? Now, how do you know what Christ is like? Well... You don't wear a little bracelet that says WWJD, what would Jesus do? 
Now, what you are saying when you say, what would Jesus do? You are saying, let me use my imagination, try to figure the best way I can tell what Jesus would do in this particular situation. So think about it. Basically, you are making yourself the authority. You are the one making the decision. You are the one setting the standard. The bracelet shouldn't be, what would Jesus do? It should be, what would Jesus have me do? How did Christ live with other people in the world revealed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? What was the nature of his character? What were the things that characterized his life in this world? Now, what that means is that if you are striving for Christ's likeness, you are. You are going to spend a lot of time reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A lot of time. Now, of course, we as Calvinists read Romans and we love Galatians. Because that's what Calvinists do. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are our standard. That is how you can gauge your growth. That you are being conformed to Christ and His character. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Amen.